Today, we are launching a new series of sermons entitled The Gospel, Finding True Life in Jesus. We will begin in John chapter 17 and go verse by verse through John chapter 21. This will take us through Easter and a couple of Sundays beyond Easter. You know, the gospel is the heart and soul of Christianity. It's the foundation for the true church. And it should be and must be the foundation for every born-again Christian. I firmly believe that true life can only be discovered by a believer when they fully grasp the fullness of the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided for us. Now, I want you to take your Bible, turn to John chapter 17. Now, I've studied this chapter all week, and I feel like I've been walking in the Holy of Holies, honestly. If, If I had to give a title for this chapter of the Bible, I would maybe give it two titles. I would, I would call it the Lord's Prayer. But you say, Pastor, that's not the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. The one he mentioned earlier where, where we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. Jesus couldn't pray that prayer. You know why? Because in that prayer, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. Jesus can pray that prayer because he's never sinned. This is the Lord's prayer. This is the prayer the Lord Jesus prayed within hours before he died. Now, if you remember, we went through a series of sermons as we looked at John chapter 14 through John chapter 16, we entitled it Onward, Conquering Your Troubles. And Jesus taught his disciples in the upper room about how to overcome the troubles they would face, most prevalently the, the trouble they would face when Jesus would go back to the Father in heaven and leave the disciples without his physical presence. And so Jesus spent time in the upper room teaching these disciples these important principles of how to move forward in their lives through trouble. And when he got through teaching them, he said this in verse 33 of chapter 16. I want you to look at it with me. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation or trouble, but take courage, look at this, I have overcome the world. And then Jesus launches into this prayer that we find in chapter 17. Now, lest we think that Jesus is doleful and and trouble beyond measure, as he launches into this prayer, we need to remember that Jesus right here in chapter 16, verse 33, made clear that he was an overcomer, that he was walking in victory, not defeat. And so he goes into this prayer with the attitude 
of a winner with the attitude of a victor, not a victim. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in this chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 today. That's where Jesus prays for himself. Next week, we're going to look at at verses um, 6 through 19. That's where Jesus prays for his disciples, Peter, James, John, that group. And then we're going to look finally in the, the next week at verses 20 through 26 where Jesus, get this, Jesus prays for us. That's right. He prays for those who will believe in him in the future. So it's a neat breakdown that we have right here in chapter 17. So we're going to look at the first section where Jesus prays for himself. And the first thing I want you to see in verse 1 is his inspiration. Look at what he said in John 17 verse 1. Jesus spoke these things. What things? Well, the things that we read about and studied in John 14 through 16. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. Now, traditional Jewish prayers, um, Jewish people did not bow their head and close their eyes when they prayed. They looked to heaven and they prayed with their eyes open. That's the traditional way a Jewish man would pray. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. Notice the, the, the first thing he said, Father. Now we believe in one God that has eternally existed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all co-equal, all the same. We believe that. It's a fundamental belief of the Christian faith. By calling God his Father, Jesus was underscoring the fundamental reality of the relationship he had enjoyed with God for all of eternity. And then he said, the hour has come. What an unusual thing for Jesus to say. The hour has come. Now this gospel repeatedly refers to this hour. In fact, this gospel, and John refers to it 17 times, this hour. Now, we're told repeatedly that the hour has not yet come. Look at chapter 2, verse 4, just a moment. John chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus is at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the Bible says... To Mary, Jesus says to Mary, woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. It's not come. Look at chapter 8, verse 20. Chapter 8, verse 20. The Bible says these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Have you ever wondered why the Jewish religious leaders had not been able to kill Jesus up to this point? 
It's because his hour had not yet come. Listen, Jesus would die when God the Father said it was time for him to die, and he would die for a purpose, and that is to redeem lost sinners. God's timing had to be perfect. And then when you get to to chapter 12 of, of John's gospel, the Bible indicates there's a change. The Bible says the hour has come. The hour has come. Now, this was the time when God planned for his son to die on the cross, for his son to be resurrected, and for his son to ascend back to heaven. Jesus knew what it meant when he said, this is my hour, this hour, the hour has come. He knew exactly what it meant. It meant his disciples would soon abandon him. It meant that he would be arrested It meant that he would be convicted on a sham charge. It meant that he would be mocked. It meant that he would be brutally beaten. It meant that he would be crucified. It meant that he would become sin for us. Jesus prepped his disciples by teaching them in John 14 through 16, and then by entering into a time of prayer with his heavenly father. Now listen, here's an important point. Jesus prayed this prayer audibly, and his disciples heard him pray this prayer. And then he said, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. This this section of this chapter begins with the glory of God, and it ends with the glory of God in verse 5. It's like bookends, and and that's why I've entitled this message today, To God Be the Glory. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus' inspiration for praying what he prayed and teaching what he taught and doing what he did and saying what he said was to glorify the Heavenly Father. If you could just cut through all of of the stuff Jesus said and did. And if you were to ask me one thing that Jesus was absolutely dead set on doing, I would tell you that he was dead set on glorifying his heavenly father. In John chapter 12, verse 23, and then verse 27 and 28, the Bible says, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be, what, church? Glorified. Verse 27, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God spoke from heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. The Bible says, therefore, when he had gone out, when Judas had left the upper room, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. See, Jesus wanted God's eternal purposes to be fulfilled in the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension exactly as God 
as God had previously decreed in the Old Testament. And that's exactly what happened. The cross displayed God's glory by revealing his righteousness, by revealing his justice, his power, his love, his mercy, his grace, his wisdom, and his holiness. No wonder Paul talked about the glory of the cross. Now, since glory is such an important concept in this chapter, and especially in our text today, here's the truth that I want you to get firmly fixed in your mind. Here's the truth that I want you to use to really motivate you to really do something special for God. You know what it is? Here's the truth. Glorify God with all your heart. If I had to reduce everything I'm going to say to one sentence, that's exactly what I would say. I'll tell you, if you do this, your whole life will change. Your whole way of looking at what's happening in the world would change. The whole way that you look at your own troubles and your own difficulties and what you're walking through right now, it would change. If you would just set your mind to this, that you will glorify God with all your heart. That was the inspiration of Jesus. That's how he faced the cross. That's how he faced the mockery and the pain and the brutality that he had to face. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see. Not only his inspiration, but his authorization. Look at verse 2. Even as you gave him authority. Who gave him authority? God the Father gave God the Son authority over, get this now, all flesh. That to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now, Dr. Moeller said this, I quote, he said, this is an astounding statement. And as you think about, again, just reading this text, this just reminds us that right now on planet Earth, there is not a human being who is not now and will forever be and has forever been under the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son. That includes the most brutal dictator that lives on the planet today. That includes people who call themselves atheists. They are under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, but who gave him that authority? God the Father gave them that, that authority. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority, power, authority. Now look at this. Jesus has the authority to do what? to give eternal life, to give to people like us the gift of eternal life. But now he doesn't pass out this gift indiscriminately. That There is a, a framework that Jesus operates with this gift of eternal life. What is it? Well, it says to all whom the Father has given him, Six times in this prayer, Jesus states that believers are the Father's gift to his Son. 
in verse 2, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 12, and verse 24. Now, have you ever thought about, about this? What do you give someone who has everything? What do you give them? Now, I'm sure you face that at Christmas, right? You got an uncle, you got a, a grandparent, they've got everything in the world, they need absolutely nothing. And yet you have to get them a gift. So what do you get? get them? What do you give them? Can you imagine what God the Father had to think about to give a gift to his son? Well, you, you say he could give him a new universe. Well, Jesus could speak a universe into existence just like that. Jesus can do anything. So you know what God the Father decided to give to his son as a gift? He decided to give his son the gift of a redeemed people. The gift, listen to this, of a bride. A bride. The groom needed a bride. And God the Father said, son, I'm going to give you a bride. I'm going to give you a redeemed people who have placed their faith in you, who are being conformed to your image, who seek first your kingdom, who will share in your glory for all of eternity. You, you say, pastor, are, are you saying that we as the redeemed, as a bride of Christ, that we will share in the glory of Jesus for all of eternity? Well, let's skip ahead in chapter 17 just a moment. I want you to look at verses 22 through 24. John 17, 22 to 24. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Who's the them? That would be you. If you're a born-again believer, that's you. The Bible said Jesus has given his glory to you that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Aren't you glad of that? So that they may see what? My glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Can you imagine? Just think about this. Can you imagine your first moment in heaven? Can you imagine that first glimpse of Jesus that you see? And you see him with his unveiled glory, his Shekinah glory. Well, John saw him like that, and John fell at his feet like a dead man in Revelation chapter 1. I'll tell you, it would be the most awe-inspiring moment of your entire existence when you see Jesus in his glory. Now, let's think just a, a little bit deeper about what Jesus said that he has the authority to give people who believe in him. And that's eternal life. What did he mean by the words eternal life? So let's look thirdly, not only is it at his inspiration, not only at his authorization, but his explanation of eternal life. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, when you read these words, eternal life, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? I guarantee for some, some of us today, the first thing that pops in our mind is streets of gold. The first thing that pops into our mind are mansions or, or our, our ticket to heaven. Listen, God has given the believer to Jesus and nothing can ever separate the believer from Jesus. Nothing, absolutely nothing. In John 3, 35 and 36, the Bible says the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. That's all authority, by the way. Verse 36, he who believes in the son has what, church? Eternal life. So what do you do to receive the gift of eternal life? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. Now, I love this part. Jesus said, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Amen. That is eternal security in Christ. Amen. And the Bible says that if you're a born-again believer, if you put your faith in Jesus, he has the authority to give you the gift of eternal life. And it refers to, to uh, obviously, a quantity of life, the, the amount of time that you will be with him forever in heaven, but it also refers to the quality of life. There's more to it than just being in heaven forever and ever. It refers to a quality of life. So what is that quality of life? Jesus insisted that eternal life is not just your ticket to heaven. Eternal life is knowing God. That's what eternal life is. Now you say, well, pastor, that's not my definition. Well, sorry. I'm going with Jesus' definition, right? Jesus defines eternal life as knowing God personally, and it involves a growing, healthy relationship with God the Father that goes on and on and on. In fact, the word know in the Bible here is in the present tense. And here's what it means. It refers to a knowledge of God that continues to grow over the years, and listen to this church, and will continue to grow throughout all of eternity. So I'll be 68 years old here in March, and my eternal life involves me knowing God at a deeper and deeper level as the years have passed by. It's growing spiritually. 
But I'll tell you, the day I die and I, I step into heaven for the first time, I want you to know that I'm not through growing in my knowledge of God. I believe this. I believe that for all of the eons of eternity, God will still be revealing himself to us in fresh new ways, and we'll be learning and growing and knowing God in a deeper, more, more intimate way for all of eternity. You, you say, Pastor, won't we ever come to the bottom of God's knowledge? No. God is infinite. He's infinite. By the way, this knowledge of God is part of the new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about hundreds of years before Jesus was incarnated. In Jeremiah 31, verse 34, speaking of the new covenant, he said, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Praise God. Praise God. Now listen. No one can truly know God the Father without knowing God the Son. In John 14, verse 6 and 7, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Verse 7, we don't refer to this very often, but we should. Look at verse 7 of John chapter 14. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. You can't know God the Father without knowing God the Son. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, John wrote, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him that's God the Father who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. By, by the way, as you look at verse 3 here, look at it again. This is eternal life, that they may know you, look at this, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you've sent... Two things here. Number one, Jesus puts himself on equal ground with God the Father. Let me tell you, Jesus is God, folks. Jesus is God. He's equal with the Father. And Jesus said that there's only one true God. Only one true God. And there's only one true Savior. Well, you say, well, what about all the other gods that the world worships? I tell you, they are not gods. They are figments of man's imagination. There is only one true God, only one true God, and there's only one way to know that true God, and that is through his true son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want to remind you of the challenge this text presents to each of us. God forbid that we come here today and we nonchalantly listen to these words and let them roll off our back like water off a duck's back. God forbid that we come here today 
and we hear these pristine words of the prayer that Jesus prayed for himself, and we say, well, that has nothing to do with me. Oh, you're so wrong. Let me tell you something. How in the world can we read and study and dig into these words that Jesus prayed and not come away with an absolute passion to glorify him with our lives? That's what it's about. That's more important than anything in your life. It's more important than the amount of money you have in the bank. It's more important than what you drive. It's more important than the house you live in. It's more important than anything. Nothing compares with glorifying God with your life. Nothing. We've seen his inspiration, his authorization, his explanation. Now I want you to see his consummation. His consummation. Look at verse 4. Jesus said, I glorified you on the earth. You know what? Jesus glorified the Father when he healed the blind man. Jesus glorified the Father when he healed the lame man. Jesus glorified the Father when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus glorified the Father when he reached down into the dirt and he took the young woman caught in adultery that the, that the Pharisees had brought before him, they wanted to stone her to death. And Jesus, listen, listen to me. Jesus reached down into the dirt and he lifted her up. And he said, woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I tell you, that's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Throughout his ministry, Jesus brought glory to God the Father. He brought glory to God the Father in his birth. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld, now hold on to your seats, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus glorified the Father in His teaching, His miracles, His wisdom, Jesus clothed the Father with so much splendor and honor that many human beings praised and worshiped him, believed in him. But notice here, Jesus glorified the Father on earth by accomplishing the work which the Father had given him to do. This this refers to a completed task. Well, you say, well, what was this? important work that God the Father gave to God the Son to accomplish here on earth. Well, it's this. It's to go to the cross of Calvary and to offer his body and blood as payment for the sins of human beings who were lost. It was to be resurrected, to be resurrected on the third day and to ascend to the Father after 40 days with his disciples. That's the work that God the Father assigned to God the Son to accomplish, and no one else in all of, the, all of history could ever accomplish that work but Jesus. 
He didn't just attempt to do it. He accomplished it. Praise his name. Mm. Boyce wrote in his commentary, we see God's sovereignty in the way in which the death of Christ was planned, promised, then executed without the slightest deviation from the prophecies of the Old Testament. Don't insult God by thinking that there's something you must do to save yourself. That is an absolute insult. Can I tell you that Jesus has done everything necessary to save your soul? There's not one thing you can do to add to what Jesus has already done. Through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. That's what the gospel is all about. Now, fifthly, I want you to see today his glorification. Look at verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, wait a minute. Now, we, we saw in verse 1 that Jesus prayed that the Father would glorify the Son, right? But understand, verse 1 is a different type of glory. He's praying for his messianic glory. He's praying for the glory that would come through his cross and his resurrection. And when you come to verse 5, Jesus is asking the Father to glorify him in a totally different way. He's asking the Father to glorify him with the eternal glory that he had for all of eternity. Take your Bible. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 just a moment. Philippians chapter 2. Paul helps us to really understand verse 5 of John 17. Look at verse 5. Paul wrote, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, now you know what that means? Jesus is God, right? Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Well, let me ask you this. What did Jesus empty himself of before he was incarnated? Well, I, I can tell you he did not empty himself of his deity, because, listen, if Jesus hadn't been God in the flesh, he couldn't have walked on the Sea of Galilee, right? If Jesus hadn't been God in the flesh, he couldn't have spoken to the winds and the waves and commanded them to cool it, and they instantly cool it. If Jesus hadn't been God, he could not have stopped the, the funeral procession of the widow of Nain and spoke, and spoke into the, 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 the coffin of that young man, the only son of his mother, and said, rise from the dead, and he rose from the dead. You got to be God to do that kind of stuff. So Jesus did not empty himself of his deity. Well, what did he empty himself of? He, get this now. Jesus chose to willingly and voluntarily veil his eternal glory with his human flesh. That's exactly what he emptied himself of. And being found, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But now Jesus is, is praying here to the Father, Father, give me the glory that was mine for all of eternity before my incarnation. 
Well, look at verse 9 of Philippians 2. For this reason also God highly exalted him. You want to know how God glorified his son? Here's how he glorified his son. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the glory that Jesus is praying for in John chapter 17, verse 5. Now look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 to 13. I'm running out of time, so i got to hurry. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, now this is heaven, this is what's happening today, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and what? Glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, that's Jesus, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And then Matthew chapter 24, 29 to 30. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. I can tell you on the basis of God's Word that God answered Jesus' prayer of verse 5. God the Father, when Jesus was resurrected and ascended back to heaven, gave him his pre-incarnate glory. And one day he's coming again, friend. He's coming again, and he's coming in glory and power and might. We've been walking on holy ground today. I don't know if you felt it. I'm telling you, this is some of the richest. I've never preached through John 17. I've never really studied it in depth. And I am fired up about the next two weeks as we get deeper and deeper into John chapter 17. We've seen his inspiration, his authorization, his explanation, his consummation, and his glorification. Let me ask you, how can we study this? and it not shape the rest of our lives. How? Listen, we ought to have a fervent desire to glorify God with all of our heart. Let's think about that in these closing moments together. How can you glorify God as a response to what you've heard today? I'm not talking about glorifying God tomorrow, Monday, or I'm not talking about glorifying God uh, later on tonight or next week. or next, I'm talking about glorifying God in this moment. How can you glorify God with all your heart? Well, the first thing you can do, you, you can come to the altar. You can come to the steps here, and you can bow before the Lord of glory. And you can say, Lord Jesus, would you please help me?
to make my inspiration, my motivation for life that of glorifying God the Father. Would you help me to get my priorities in order? Or you can come to, the, to one of our pastors here today or our staff members here today and you, you can say to them, look, I, I want this eternal life. I need this eternal life because I'm a sinner. And I know I can never spend eternity with Jesus if my sin is not dealt with. And I want to invite you today to come to one of our staff members and just tell them today that you're ready to receive Jesus by faith as your personal Savior and Lord. I'll tell you what, that'll glorify God. God is glorified in the salvation of the redeemed people that he in turn gives as a gift to his son. Here's another way you can glorify God today. You can focus on growing your relationship with God. Listen, Jesus said eternal life is about knowing God. And and you can come to this altar here in just a moment, bow at these steps, and you can say, Lord Jesus, I want to grow spiritually. I've been stagnant for so long. I want to grow and know God at a deeper, more intimate level. Oh, would you help me? I promise you that's a prayer he'll answer. Or or you can come to the altar today, and you can ask Jesus to help you complete your task. Jesus said, I accomplished what the Father gave me to do. Do you know if you're a born-again believer, God's given you something to do? The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is it that God wants to do through your life? Maybe you're a young person and God wants you to be a church planner one day or God wants you to be on staff of a church or a pastor or or a, a godly layman, a godly plumber, a godly lawyer, a godly businessman. And listen, will you just come to this altar today and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, help me to do it to the best of my ability. Help me to give you my best. One day, we're going to be with him forever. And I honestly believe that if we're going to glorify God with all of our heart, it starts right now. 